For this second episode, we have John Herman back again, this time talking about uh, the 1990 film Dreams by Akari Kurosawa and Aphex Twins Selected Ambient Works Volume 2. I hope you love it. Hi, John. Thanks for being on my podcast. Thank you for having me. Let's get right into it. Okay. The first piece of media that you brought that has been influential to you is Dreams by Akira Kurosawa. <laughs> Akira Kurosawa. That's what I said, I think. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think. I think. It's not that I like I don't know Japanese and I believe it's Akira Kurosawa. Okay. Yep. Great. Uh, so Dreams is from 1990 mm-hmm. and came five years after people believed that he was done. Yep. So I recently watched the movie. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. And it made me sad. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to hear from you why this is something that you thought this is important in my world. Okay. So I can't remember the first time I saw Dreams. I can remember the second time. Okay. <laughs> I know that the first time was um, not that much before I saw it the second time, but uh, maybe a year before. And I immediately was blown away by it. Um, What little I knew was that Akira Kurosawa um, was a very famous director who was influenced by, you know, old stories of samurai and things like that. And he made a series of films, uh, many of which are in black and white. And many of his films were recreated by Americans except they just took the idea of a samurai who goes into a village with no name and saves everybody uh, and then walks off into the sunset and they turned them into Westerns. So the entire Western craze happened because of an appreciation for Akira Kurosawa samurai films. So my Uh, dad's love of John Wayne comes from Japan? um, I don't know about... Uh, those were kind of happening at the same time is my understanding. Mm-hmm. And, but Clint Eastwood, Western uh, movies, yeah. some of them are direct, uh, remakes of Akira Kurosawa films. And for example, uh, The Magnificent Seven yep. is a remake of Seven Samurai. Yep. Um, so that's that. And I'm actually not a big fan of Westerns and I am... Uh, not even that into Akira Kurosawa's samurai films, though uh, Rashomon is great. Ron, I believe, is uh, based on Shakespeare, but uh, I'm not that big of an expert. So the thing is that someone could immediately email you and be like, no, it's not based on Shakespeare, you idiot. (laughs) But um, back to dreams. (laughs) Dreams blew me away. I have always been fascinated with the connection between dreams and art. Um, A lot of my own writing comes from dreams, so I'll dream a plot and then I'll write it. Uh, So a lot of my short stories have come from dreams. My novel manuscript that uh, I was working on this morning Mm -hmm. comes from a dream. So the idea that this guy had a long career as a film director, he is an inspiration. George Lucas um, said that he is a direct influence for Star Wars. Um, and that uh, the kind of the Japanese samurai feeling to some of the, the Star Wars characters uh, comes from Akira Kurosawa. That makes sense to me. 
and uh, Steven Spielberg, um, Martin Scorsese. Who's all. in this? So George Lucas and Steven Spielberg produced Dreams. Yes. Scorsese is in Dreams. So mm-hmm. all of these directors who are very, you know, famous Western directors took them and, and you know, I'm now creating the story. <laughs> in my idea, <laughs> they took them and they were like, listen, old man. <laughs> Let's make one last movie together, all of us. And um, so that's probably not how it happened, but it is. He was in his 80s, I believe. Mm-hmm. And the movie is a series of dreams that he had over the course of his life, just filmed. And that's it. And so there's, there's, there's dreams that are about war. There's dreams about ecology and all sorts of, you know like worries that he had over the course of his life are played out in these dreams the early dreams in the movie that are depicted are children's dreams the opening of this film is about a child who doesn't listen to his mother and goes off and meets the the fox spirit and witnesses his wedding and then must come home and because he saw the fox's wedding he must commit suicide. It's against the law for humans to, to see. And so it's this dark coming of age. Like his mother gives him a sword and, it's and a shuts baby, him out. It's a baby sword because he's not big enough <laughs> yeah. to have a full sword. And his mother basically says, go under the rainbow and ask for forgiveness. And By the... cutting yourself open. <laughs> yeah. So he goes off with a sword under the rainbow. And that's the beginning of the movie. And then it ends because you wake up. So anyway, I've the the visuals, the the mix of kind of magical realism. My favorite genre is reality with a, a taste of surrealism, a taste of dream world. So dreams really, it it wasn't some punk young director being sur- surreal. It was this you know guy who had a very long successful film career who is now, you know, recording his dreams. So I, that, I don't know. It just really spoke to me. And so the second time I saw it, <laughs> okay, uh, it was my birthday. And on my college campus, I had already become really intrigued by this film. And then it was screened on my birthday on my college campus. And I saw that as like, you know, some sort of sign. <laughs> so I went I and like saw it on my birthday and I've just been connected to the movie ever since. And I, I teach film every once in a while and I have used different dreams for different lessons. Uh, most notably the, I forget what it is called in, um, in Japanese, but it's the, the climbers oh, who yes. give up. Um, they're climbing in a the blizzard. In the, oh, right, and there's a blizzard. <laughs> they're climbing a mountain, and they've lost sight of their camp, and they give up one by one, except for one guy. And then this like ethereal snow creature, or fairy, or angel, or you know, mystical being comes yeah. and protects them. And then. Uh, I don't want to give it away because we get we we already gave away the first one, <laughs> so I don't want to give away what happened. I mean, <laughs> to be fair, it's what twenty eight years old, twenty nine years old okay. now. Yeah, I don't necessarily feel yeah. like it's a spoiler at this point. Like, but that, if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. But we're gonna yeah. probably tell you that dream in things. particular, uh, and you've just seen it recently. Yes, 
is about five minutes of breathing. Yeah. It's them moving very slowly in the snow, breathing heavily Mm -hmm. because of the atmosphere um, and the oxygen level being thin. And that's it. But it creates atmosphere. So I I would show it and be like, if you can watch this dream um, by Akira Kurosawa, the blizzard, then and not feel cold <laughs> yes. in a hot room, you know, wow. Because he can really convey a sense of environment and feeling. It's influenced me in different, all different ways, I guess. What did you think? <laughs> I loved it. The only thing before watching Dreams that I knew about Kurosawa was from the Bare Naked Ladies song. I didn't know there was a... So, uh, I can't remember the name off the top of my head of... Which Bare Naked Ladies song? Listener, chime in and tell us. But in it, it says, uh, like Kurosawa, I make mad films. Okay, I don't make films, but if I did, they'd have a samurai. Okay. <laughs> so that is literally all I knew going uh, that into. Sum, that sums him up, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I was like, oh, this isn't that at all. <laughs> and then when I did a little bit of research, I found, oh, this came five years after his, like, last big movie that was, like, a part of his, kind of the genre he created for himself. And so this is an entirely separate entity, I think. I thought it was very weird and surreal at times, and I thought it was beautiful. The cinematography is just stunning throughout the whole thing. And I thought it was really sad. Yeah. I cried more than once. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert, this is the first podcast, but if you ever meet me, there's a chance that if we know each other for more than a day, you'll see me cry. I'm a crier. <laughs> and so I cried multiple times. Yeah. Um, what about the tunnel? The tunnel was literally the next words out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah. The tunnel gutted me. Yeah. It's a, it's a good one. So the tunnel is about a man who is walking this muddy path and he's walking into a very dark tunnel and there's this little, it looks like a rabid dog actually, barking at him. And he's like backing up slowly, a little scared of it. And he walks through the tunnel and he comes out of the tunnel on the other side of it. And then he turns around and out of the tunnel comes a soldier who is dead. Yeah. And over the course of their conversation, the soldier is trying to get home to visit, his, to see his mother and father. Yeah. The man who walked through had to be explained to him that he was really dead. He had died in the man's arms. Right. And so he's like, I'm so sorry. Like, you got to go. And so the soldier goes back into the tunnel and then you hear marching. Right. And I was like, what is going to happen? <laughs> And a whole his whole platoon, battalion, yeah, or yeah, whatever the <laughs> the whole platoon is there, yeah. and you find out that not only did the whole platoon die, but it was his fault because he was the commander. Yeah, and he has to order them and, to their death. Yes, <laughs> so he ordered them to their death before, and he when he's talking to them, he is so he's like, I'm so sorry, yeah. like my indecisiveness got you killed, and like. I, I, and he's he's super apologetic, and he talks about how he was captured, and 
like how he wishes he had died with them and all of these like really terrible things. And then they're all just standing there. Yeah. And he realizes that he needs to command them again. Right. To go back into the and tunnel. And so he commands them back into the tunnel. To die. And I was like, I'm not okay. Yeah. And then he turns around again and the the dog is back barking. Yeah. Yep. And that's how it ends. Yeah. And the, the simplicity of his direction is really neat, I find. Like if this was a Western film, I feel like they'd be like zombified or... Yeah some sort of CG ethereal thing. And keep in mind that industrial light and sound, like George Lucas produced a lot of the movie. Mm -hmm. So he had technology he could have used, but he depicts the the dead guys just with, uh, isn't it like just green skin? Yeah, or... it's, it's like face makeup. Yeah. Uh, it's greenish skin and then some kind of like, uh, almost like a raccoon eyes, but with white makeup yeah. instead. Yeah, but and it doesn't seem cheap. It seems no, disturbing. It's, it, and, but it's also weirdly beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Which I, which just gutted me all over again. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the final dream is like a palate cleanser. <laughs> um, the final dream? With the water um, and oh, the old man. Oh, that lovely. Yeah, exactly. Because he, he brings you through the ringer. <laughs> yeah. It's very emotional and it gets darker and darker and darker. And... You know, with the with uh, Mount Fuji erupting and oh, oh my goodness, that one there's, was like oh yeah. So there's just there's a lot of darkness, um, yes. and then there is a palate cleanser. So if anybody watches this, know that if you make it to the end, <laughs> yeah. there is what I I believe is the dream of an old man who's satisfied with his ending. Yeah, and I think that that's that is what is depicted. Yeah. Literally. Um, literally. It's about yeah, an old man who's yes. okay with dying. Yeah. Village um, of Water Mills is the, the the eighth dream. Yeah. And it's super lovely. It It is all about how, like, this village has gone back to a more simplistic way of life. I don't even think they have, like, electricity anymore. They yeah. go by water power. Yeah. They live by candlelight and stuff. And there's a funeral procession that... The whole village, every time somebody passes away, carries the body in this procession. But it's like this joyous, it like reminded me of like uh, what I imagine like in New Orleans yeah. has when someone passes away. Yeah. Um, with this beautiful parade of celebration of a life well lived. Yeah. Yeah. Only one weakness in the entire film. Oh. What do you think? I don't know, because I think that my weaknesses are different than your weaknesses. Okay. My weakness is that I know that... You know, George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese, all involved in this film. And there is a wonderful piece in the center of the film in which a young artist meets um, Vincent Van Gogh and steps through his paintings. Mm -hmm. And I can see them all at the table, all the executives helping Akira Kurosawa make his final film. And they're like, we will get a preeminent Dutch artist. We will get, we'll get Van Gogh's grandson to play van gogh and scorsese's like no <laughs> i got this i'll play it well 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 yes. martin you can't yeah your french accent is it's not great um your or your dutch accent rather and uh no <laughs> i got this yeah martin scorsese plays vincent van gogh as a guy from i don't know queens yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> basically yeah Maybe, yeah, yeah. Um, 
He's hung know. out a lot in the Bronx, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he spent some time in the Bronx. It's just that, like, just outside of Manhattan yeah. <laughs> accent as Vincent Van Gogh. And you're like, did we really? Could and we? it's the only English in the whole movie. And he speaks English. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's English. Oh, my goodness. Because they were just like, you know, oh, okay, Martin. All right. Yeah. Okay, Mr. Scorsese. You, you, okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll cut that out later. We'll, we'll uh, replace him with a proper actor. But no, and he, then he never... steps into the editing room. Wait a second, are you cutting me out? No. <laughs> <laughs> I do really appreciate your vision of how things went according yeah, no. to how this movie got made. Yeah, no. Clearly I have a, a vision of how, the history of this film that is <laughs> probably not accurate at all. Or It's funny because I did think that that was going to be the one that you said. So it's Dream 5. It's named Crows. And uh, it's actually one of my favorites. Oh, it's great. <laughs> because, but it's but it's despite of yeah. Scorsese's performance. Yeah. Um, because um, much like in the beginning, uh, in, in the end of the first dream, where the boy is, go- is walking through this beautiful uh, field of wildflowers yeah. going under this rainbow to find the foxes to then kill himself. Um, so that part is less awesome to me. But... Um, visually it's so beautiful and it brings it back for me when it gets to dream five with the crows because when he steps into the paintings the way the world is created is like you still see like the mounds of paint and stuff and it just was so it's exactly what i want from a dream sequence about being inside living inside of a painting yeah yeah and then we get Scorsese. Scorsese. <laughs> I do think it's interesting that uh, the we get the real reason behind why Van Gogh cut his ear off. Right. <laughs> he couldn't get the ear right in the painting. Yeah. So he cut it off. Yeah. That's fine. It has to go. Let's go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have one that you really feel particularly strongly about that you really love? I, I love the first one. I love... I really like the the one where Mount Fuji erupts. Um, I don't want to ruin every single dream because we've talked this up so much now that I feel like people are going to check this out. <laughs> yeah. Um, Which, if you'd want to, um, you can find it streaming online, but you're going to have to pay a few bucks for it. Or it is available through most big city libraries. Yeah. Which is how I got my copy. Got it. Yeah. I used to give it away as a prize um, in my film class. That's amazing. For Best Filmmaker, and the kids would vote on each other like who was the most helpful filmmaker and i would give away a copy of akira kurosawa's dreams i love that yeah and by that time the, the kids had bought in yeah and like they thought it was a cool prize um i do want to briefly mention dream Two because i think that it was my favorite yeah so it's called peach orchard oh yeah it's great <laughs> and it starts out with this these kids having like a tea party and the little brother is like giving, bringing in tea for his sister and all of her friends. And he's like, where's the other girl? And the sister's like, what? What other girl? What are you talking about? It's yeah. just us. Sit down and drink your tea. You're being silly. Which felt very real and grounded to me because I've had that same conversation with my brother. You're crazy. Sit down. Yeah. Um, and then he sees the girl, but nobody else sees him, sees her. And so he ends up running off out of the house and he comes upon... The Peach Orchard, which right. has been taken down. Right. Which is the first instance of that, like, ecological uh, humans not 
dealing well with nature yes. theme that is played out throughout different right. dreams. Yeah. You know, it's the Peach Blossom Festival, but they've cut off, they've, they've cut down the peaches. Right. And so they're, and they want to be mad at this little boy. Yeah. Because he's, he's the son of the, the, the people who, yeah. who ruined the, the orchard. Right. But he's like, no, I, I cried. I, right. And, and it really is lovely because he, this little boy who's maybe six or seven, understands better than the adults, the adults yeah. of like what is important in this world. Yep. Good job, Akira Kurosawa. Yeah. <laughs> Real proud of you. Even though yeah. you did right off the top tell a five-year-old to kill himself. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and I believe it was his mama that, gave, that told oh, yeah. him to. Oh, yeah. Gave, gave him the knife. Yeah. yeah. And for the longest time, that was my only kurosawa movie and then i started to dip into his other work and it's all it's all really good he doesn't he has a mystery he's got a you know he's got a bunch of different genres i think he's most known for his samurai films mm-hmm. uh in, in the western world but he has other films too that are that are great so when we started talking about this podcast and uh you gave me your list of things that you would want to talk about with me what why did this make the cut i think you know, again, uh, dreams have so much influenced my own personal work. Yeah, I'm thinking back, like some of the plays I've written, the short plays I've written and stories, and I am often dipping into dreams. So I think it was just, I'm not sure if I was doing that in college already, but Akira Kurosawa kind of made it okay to do that. <laughs> yeah. And said, you know this is cool. And so I've been doing it ever since. So maybe in that way, he, he was inspiring and the movie was inspiring. And it's just a good movie. But and it's everything. It is. It's sad. It's happy. It is boring at times. And that it's very much embraces dreams. Like, I don't feel like there was some editor being like, okay, they've been breathing up on this mountain for five minutes, Akira. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. We got to cut some of it. Yeah. No, he could do whatever he wanted yeah. in my vision, yeah. <laughs> in my pretend vision of how this movie was made. And he does. It's kind of this um, this kind of free, like, he lets it be boring for a while. And the, as the characters are being lulled into sleep, you know, I've showed it to, to some classes and, and had kids nod off during that part. And then, you know, I let them sleep through the the mystical being coming. Because half the, you know, most of the characters in the film fall asleep. There's only one. <laughs> yeah, only one witnesses it. So yeah. it's just kind of like, you know, fine. Mm-hmm. And then you wake them up at the end and be like, oh, you just nodded off during a, you know, 12-minute short film. <laughs> you missed the best part. And they don't, and the kids are like, you did. You did. Yeah. You did miss the best part. Everybody gets lulled to sleep in that short, including the audience. <laughs> and mm-hmm. if you stay awake, it's magical. I was surprised a little bit how much I was connecting to other things that I've experienced. So, like, in that scene, I just, John and I are both teachers, and I had just recently finished reading Night with my sophomores. And there's a scene in it where Ellie Wiesel's father wants to go to sleep so badly. He just is so tired and so exhausted. They've been running for three days, and he sits down in the snow. And Ellie's like, no, you can't sleep. Like if you go, if you fall asleep, you'll die. Yeah. And I was like, so for me, that's where I was at. And so I was like, 
oh my gosh, they're all going to die. This whole dream was about all of these men dying on yeah. a mountainside, yeah. like near camp somewhere yeah. in this blizzard. And then when he woke up, I was like, oh no, he's going to be the only one to survive. And... He has to like deal with all of his friends being dead on this mountain. So, right, oh gosh, right, it was like right. it was a lot for me. Yeah, even though the baseline of it is not a hard, action-packed thing. No, but I was like, this is intense. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Wonderful. I really enjoyed it. I was ex- I was really excited um, that you put this on your list because cool. it meant that I got to experience it, and cool. it's something that I had not. I w- I don't think I ever would have sought out on my own. Yep. So thank you. You're welcome. So the second piece that you brought to us is an album. Yes. <laughs> Selected Ambient Works Volume 2 by Aphex Twin. So Volume 1 didn't cut it for you? No, Volume 1 is, uh, it's fine. <laughs> I feel like it is kind of... I don't know. It's good. It's fine. It put Aphex Twin on the map. Um, Aphex Twin is a electronic musician. Um, he is kind of legendary in his scene. Uh, his name is Richard James, and he's... I think he's Welsh. Except, you know, someone's going to now write to you and be like, he's not Welsh! <laughs> Dear listeners, tell me where he's from! <laughs> I think he's Welsh. I don't know. But anyway, he the, the, the one thing is that he has... It's one th- aspect that I am a sucker for in the arts is having a bit of mystery surrounding the artist. And Aphex Twin is someone who does that. He has had a very long career, has produced probably a thousand tracks. And I know that sounds like hyperbole, but he is extremely, extremely, extremely prolific. If Emily Dickinson can produce over 1,700 poems, Aphex Twin can produce, you know, a thousand tracks. But he is. He's extremely prolific, and people don't know very much about him. He keeps a bit of a a secrecy around him. He does a lot of experimental things, but specifically this album is something that he claims. Now, the thing is that this this guy claims a lot of stuff that is probably creating mystery. I don't know how much of it is true, and I was actually a music journalist for a short amount of time. I wrote for a couple different online music journalism periodicals. Uh, most of which aren't around anymore. The only one that's around is Pitchfork. And I basically just wrote news stories. But this another site, which wasn't Pitchfork, did an essential albums list. And even at that point, I selected this album to mm-hmm. be the essential album that everyone should have. And I gave an argument for it. The, the things that he has said about the creation of the album is that he wrote it through lucid dreaming that he would go to sleep and write music in his dreams. He'd wake up and try and recreate the sounds that he had dreamt. And I have a real connection to lucid dreaming in the arts and creating art out of my dreams. And the, the album has, ever, ever since I heard of the idea of the album, I, I, was, I felt very connected to it. And what I would do is I would listen to it at bedtime and sleep with it on. 
And that is something that 20 years later, I still do. And not just with that album. And in fact, I haven't listened to that album while sleeping in a long time. But my children had when they were first born. It was like a bedtime album for my first child. And I don't know, there's something very comforting about the album at night. I find that if you listen to it during the day, there's this disconnect. It's... I wish that we had had this conversation before I experienced this So you listened this to it album. in the middle of the day. I did. So it was spooky. <laughs> so, yeah. So I so uh, I first tried to listen to it the way I do any new album that I get, which is I take it on a car ride. Yeah. Gosh. I and drive off the road, fall asleep. <laughs> it was not a good scene. Yeah. I got halfway through the second song and was like, I can't. I got to listen to something else. Full disclosure, this is not my taste in music. This is not normally something that I'd be really into. Yeah. Anyway, but so, which is partly why I wanted to do this podcast is because I think it's important to like branch out and try new things. Yeah. But so I was like, okay, I'll give it another go when I get home. So I ended up, uh, I tried doing the tidying up thing to my clothes, the Marie Kondo yeah. thing. And so I uh, Marie Kondoed my clothing to this album. To Apex Twin, which yes. is, you're probably the only person on planet Earth that's uh, condoing her yep. <laughs> clothes to Apex Twin's selected ambient. Volume two. Volume two. <laughs> yep. Um, and uh, so I did get through most of the album yeah. that way. And then I realized towards the end of what I was doing because I was very conscious of, oh, I'm, I'm zoning out and not really listening and experiencing the music. That's what you're supposed to do. I know. <laughs> I know. But I, that's so counterintuitive to how I yes. experience music normally. Yep. And then, and so the whole time, full disclosure, I hated this. <laughs> and then I remembered one of the things that I love the most about our friendship. Yeah. And there's always music playing. Yeah. Anytime we're hanging out at your house, we're yeah. doing crafts with your kids or playing board games, there's always an underlay of some sort of soft music playing. Yep. And sometimes it has lyrics and oftentimes it doesn't. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have heard this album before. I must have. Mm-hmm. Just the nature of how long we've been friends. Yeah. And I was like weirdly comforted by that Mm -hmm. and then felt like I did dishes to it later. I read to it later. So my experience changed when I gave it more context to our life. Yeah. I mean, the big clue is it's ambient works, (laughs) selected ambient works. So there the, and for our listeners who haven't heard the album, which is, you know, maybe 90, okay. 99% maybe. Ambient music is just that. It's sometimes there is a beat, and Aphex Twin is very much a beat-based artist, so Mm -hmm. there is a rhythm to it. But there are some ambient works that are just like, you know, people shuffling around in a museum. It's just their footsteps or something. There are ambient (laughs) tracks like that that are literally ambient environments. He is creating a soundscape, an ambient experience that is... It does. It makes you zone out. It makes you think about his intention. Well, I'm, I might be putting intentions on it, but uh, it would not surprise me if you know you you lose yourself and you're you're like you're no longer listening to the music. You go within yourself, and that is very much in the realm of this album. 
So, like, we we can't even pick apart tracks in my in my view because right. it it all blends together. The, the tracks are actually very different from each other, but there is this kind of quality of just kind of moving movements yeah. <laughs> of ambient sound and beats that just allow your mind to drift. It's very meditative. There's a definitely a meditative quality. And I don't, I, I could not see myself listening to it during the day. You know, maybe in the early evening at the very earliest with a, like a cup of tea and like... I really wish you would give me that <laughs> heads up. <laughs> and just sitting in back in a chair and closing my eyes. Uh, because you can. There, It's actually quite complex music. And if you listen, there's a lot going on in Aphex Twins music, even beyond this album, and very much beyond this album, because not all of his music by any realm of the imagination is ambient. Um, there are some very complex beats that he'll he'll do. But this album in particular is just very meditative, very calming, but there is darkness. There is There's a range of emotion that I feel like reflects nightlife and dreams and that other that internal world so that's probably my draw to it i have continued i'm listening to another album right now i've Mm -hmm. probably been listening to it for about six months (laughs) uh at night it is uh, i only put it on a, a a one hour or two hour timer i don't need it to play all night but it, I would not be even remotely interested in this if it wasn't for Aphex Twin. Mm-hmm. So now I'm listening to Max Richter's album called Sleep, which is, I believe, eight hours long. And you're supposed to sleep to it. Yeah. And there are particular movements. I've been kind of like listening to clips of it and pushing myself through it and then starting again. And I now have favorite hours within the piece. Um, and I actually, amazing. I know the eight hour piece and it is very subtle, but there are themes that I really enjoy and I find it very relaxing. It's almost like, um, Pavlov's dog. <laughs> like you play some of these ambient works for me, this might not be with other people, but it is an instant path to relaxation and mm-hmm. a kind of deeper meditative quality. It's not like elevator music or something that would play in the background and you can like do whatever there's something that pulls you in and if you can't stop and listen to barely it's very uh, minimalist it's almost irritating like it has it will irritate you because you can't just you can't play it in the car (laughs) i didn't know you gave me no context (laughs) right right. and this is not a genre of music that i am well versed in yeah and I love music, so this was very much uh, uh, all of the things that we've talked about have pushed me out of my normal realm, yeah. which has been really wonderful. But I get things like I try driving around in a car listening to ambient sounds yeah. instead of sleeping to them. Right, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is really funny that you say that because I have tried... You're a napper. I am You a should napper. try Apex when not napping. Yeah. The first... And I don't know, I'm sure you listen to this streaming or something, but it's actually a two-part album. The first part is superior for my uses. (laughs) The second part 
can get uh, darker. Yeah. And I feel like back in the day, if I'd listened to it straight through while going to sleep, if I woke up during the second half of the album, I'd be like, because ah! it does, it gets, there. some of the tracks are just darker. Yeah. And I threw a lot more things away. <laughs> and my, my thank yous to my departed clothing got yeah. a little angry. Yeah. So um, <laughs> Aphex Twin, just to add a little bit more mystery, because there's not much more to talk about other than listen to the album. Yeah. He's done some weird, I, and I'm going to botch this and, you know, people are going to be, that's not exactly what happened, but he, he, I believe he bought a tank <laughs> just to have. Just um, like, like a, like a, a card, like a tank card? Like a or gigantic like, tank. Just like a big, like that? Or? Oh no, like a, like an armored vehicle. Cool. Got it. Uh, I think he lives, you know, outside of London. He might live inside the tank, or he, like, lives inside a, a <laughs> vault or something. There's, like, all these, like, weird stories and mysteries about him. And, I'm, you know, I'm sure he's had such a long career that I remember he's done... Okay, so he's done something... I'm like, what, what am I trying to say? I, he's He released at one point on SoundCloud, I believe, like, hundreds of tracks one day <laughs> and just gave them away. So if you were a fan, he hadn't released anything in like 10 years or more. And then he just dropped 100 tracks. On yeah. People. And then and then a, a little while later, they disappeared. Like he'll do that. And I'm not saying 10 tracks. There were like 100 tracks. And then they'll go away. I do think he is just a neat, prolific artist. He, he does what he wants and he embraces his weird corner of the music world. He's influenced a lot of artists, and I like to go to sleep to him. <laughs> and, I like to go to sleep to him. To him. Uh, and he and you know he's opened me up to other ambient artists. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I would never you know. Do you remember how you found him? Um, I I ran with a very kind of art, artsy music crowd in college. Every single one of my friends was a musician of some kind. And, you know, half of them were poppy musicians and half of them were experimental weird musicians. And somewhere Both. somewhere in between, people were like, oh, you're not familiar with this? You're not familiar with this? And so I got a, a pretty good education in, in music from those people. And it's funny is that I've run with, a lot. I meet up with some of my old college buddies, and I'll be like, "Have you listened to this track that uh, was released?" And they're like, "No, I, I'm you know, <laughs> I'm listening to Coldplay now." <laughs> like, <you're> like, <laughs> like, okay, everybody yeah. grew up except for me. Well, no, but I think that, that was a joke. No one listens to Coldplay. <laughs> <laughs> no, you just outed your friends. No, they don't um, listen to Coldplay. But um, I do think that's interesting because one of the things that. I think we first bonded over is we both loved music that a lot of other people hadn't heard of. Mm-hmm. And so we would trade and we still do this. Yep. We still trade people to listen to and check yeah. out. Yeah. And that, I mean, that sounds, yeah, that sounds pretentious, <laughs> but, but well, it's not yeah. like it, no, it was. It just means that we yeah. really love yeah. finding new music. Yeah. And it just so happens that we have gotten over time good at figuring out what will eventually be a hit. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think people often, they listen to new music for basically their 20s. (laughs) Yeah. And then many stop. (laughs) 
and they become they isolate themselves from the the progression of modern music and i i don't know i listened i listen to contemporary classical i listen to contemporary you know i listen to little everything yeah. little, little pump little <laughs> give me give me a little and i'll try it yeah um, i have all my students send me tracks that they love yeah and most of them i find to be Oh, real bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I was but, trying. <laughs> but it all will, almost always leads me to finding one new artist I love. Yep. I like music festivals for that purpose. Yep. I like going early in the day. I mean, obviously, headliners are lovely and wonderful. But I listen to Lizzo now because I saw her right. at a 1 p.m. on a Saturday day slot at Boston Calling. And I've now seen her six times. She's incredible. Yeah. And... She just released last month her newest track called Juicy, and it's like the the song that has now really kind of been catapulting her. And yeah. I'm like, oh, and I, she's doing a tour coming up, and we were able to get tickets, but only like really crappy seats. Yeah. And I'm like very upset about it because like I want to be as close to her as possible. Yeah. She's this like amazing, incredibly like body positive, cool person who wants to share beauty and kindness with the world cool and she twerks and flutes wow i'll check her out she's incredible that's apex twin <laughs> there's other stuff my last question to you yes. about apex twin yeah is why is this album the one album you gave me um so i could have given you a lot of different albums and you 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 definitely mentioned that I listen to music all the time. The soundtrack of my life is constantly going, so we are constantly playing music. There'd be music playing in my house right now if we were not recording a podcast. <laughs> it's the first thing that you do when you walk in the door. Absolutely. And even the fact that I haven't listened to this album in a long time, it's definitely an album that is almost like a gateway album for me. It's it's old. It's Apex Twin has a lot more, you know popular and influential things that he's done but it is a little bit reflective of my musical taste i know that i have gone through stretches i i was a radio dj in college for a very short amount of time and the philosophy of the station was that they played new music or, or music that would not be played elsewhere mm -hmm. to give all music a, a, a try on the airwaves so was not intent the mission was not intended to be pretentious it was intended to give you know under celebrated music a chance um mm -hmm. to be listened to so i would listen to some really weird stuff and some really experimental stuff and i remember being in the car and there was now this is college radio so every once in a while no one's there yeah. so they just sh turn off the station and it's static yeah so they're static on mm -hmm. the radio and i'm like my friends are like well let's can we just change the radio i'm like no this is a song and they're like um <laughs> I, I don't think so i'm pretty sure this is static and i'm like you just don't know music <laughs> and, and that may be the most pretentious thing i've ever heard spite, you say <laughs> <laughs> we listened to static for about two minutes before i was you know i had to cave and be like you know what? I think they shut down the station. I, th I, I, I think this is actually static. Yeah. Uh, I apologize to everyone in the car. Um, I've, be I've become a monster. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. It, Apex Twin is kind of the granddad now of 
uh, several different movements of music. Um, he's not, you know, he's not young, punk, cutting edge anymore. And even when he was, he was he kept he kept a lot of mystery about himself. Yeah. So I like that. He's kind of like the Banksy of music. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I like that. Uh, fun fact about music stations: I also had a, a radio show for a semester. Yeah. And that was the same semester that my friend Dan got the school fined because he, instead of switching over to what he had the last radio show of the night, was supposed to switch it over to whatever like the local state radio station was. Yeah. And instead, he just put um, the song Scar Tissue by Red Hot Chili Peppers on repeat. Yeah. And so we got, I think, nine hours of just Scar Tissue. Wow. Yeah. College radio. Weird enough. He got in trouble for that. Weird enough. (laughs) (laughs) Great. That's Avex Twins. Okay. So now we're come to the time where I give you suggestions of things that I think you might love. This is my favorite part. <laughs> it's mine too. That's not true. The whole talking to you part has okay. been my favorite. Right. Okay, but here we go. Um, there is an album called Reconstruction Site by a Canadian band called The Weaker Thans. And it's a concept album and it's all about <laughs> perspectives of cats. And wow. I super duper love it. It's beautiful and sad and wonderful. And I think that you might really love it. Wow, thank you. No, never heard heard it, heard of it. I'm ready. <laughs> and then the second one that I have for you is the Robin Williams movie What Dreams May Come. It's based on a book, but I have not read the book. But <laughs> oops. But the movie is this really gorgeous story and it really reminded me when I uh, uh when I was watching Kurosawa's Dreams, I was reminded about this movie. Absolutely. I have actually seen that movie multiple times and it got it gets such mixed reviews. It's not like a cherished Robin Williams movie. Maybe it's cuz it's so dark. But I love it. I you you nailed that one, and I haven't seen it for a long time, so I would definitely check that out again. Great, thanks so much. Thank you.